Well, good morning. You know, intimacy is something that is a pervasive truth in the Song of Solomon, and it's something truly that we all need. And through this series, we've already learned about the true uh, definition of intimacy, and uh, we've learned that uh, true love waits. Uh, last week, we learned about the little foxes that can destroy the, the vineyard, those little things that we do in the areas of communication, finances, conflict res- resolution that can seem small, uh, but can destroy a relationship. Today, oh, we're going to be talking about the big day, the big one, the numero uno, the big kahuna, the day that we get married. You know, other than the day that we pray to receive Christ, this is the most important day in our lives. I can remember my marriage, my wedding. Of course, I remember my marriage. I remember, <laughs> as far as I'm still married today, as far as I know. So, but at my wedding, what a great time that was. I remember it so well that I literally could not wipe the smile off of my face. I was so happy. And the clothes that I wore, can we put that? Oh, there it is. Oh, my goodness. There. Let me just tell you. That dude up there is clueless. He, he doesn't know what's going on right now at this point. But uh, you don't see white tuxedos like that very much anymore. Uh, but those are just, man, those guys, they are just kids. Just kids. And realize that they don't know what in the world is really going on except that they love one another. I knew that when I went to that wedding day, that there was one person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, and it was that woman that was just up there. In fact, that, y'all saw that kiss? That was our first kiss. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm in the sanctuary, aren't I? <laughs> we may have kissed once or twice before that. But, uh, but the thing is, she was the one I wanted to commit my life to. All I really knew was that I loved her. In fact, if you look at the marriage license, our marriage license, right under rights of matrimony, I don't know if you can really see it, but there's my name, signed as pretty as I could ever sign it, Stephen Scott Allen. That day, I said to her, I'm going to be with you as long as we both shall live. It was a special occasion for me. Interestingly, at this point, you know, she was my boss at Burger King. Oh, that's right. We both worked at Burger King, and we were both getting moved to Corpus Christi, Texas, so we got married, and she was the restaurant manager. I was assistant manager, and so she was my boss, which, of course, prepared me better than most for marriage, wouldn't you say? (laughs) So that worked out really well. Now, uh, we're coming up. I mean, We've had a great marriage. We've had some tough times. We've had some good times. We're coming up on 35 years of marriage together. Yeah, go ahead, because I think that's worth it. (laughs) And I just will never, ever forget that day. Now, to some, weddings have become a thing of the past. More and more people are simply opening themselves to living together and forsaking the marriage ceremony, the wedding. In 1960, 1960, the number of cohabiting couples were about 439,000. 
In 2010, the number had soared to over 7.5 million. With these numbers rising the way they are, we have to ask, is it working? (laughs) Is it working living together, cohabiting? The answer is clearly no. Only about 17% of live-ins get this last at least three years. Only 17%, three years. 10%. Only 10% endure five years or more. Living together before marriage increases the risk of divorce. One study found an increased risk of 46%. Living together outside marriage increases the risk of domestic violence for women and the risk of physical and sexual abuse for children. One study found that the risk of domestic violence for women in cohabiting relationships was double that in married relationships. The risk was even greater for child abuse. Unmarried couples have lower levels of happiness and well-being than married couples. Couples who live together first are more likely to have an affair during marriage than those who don't. And cohabiting couples are more than three times likely to say hitting, shoving, and throwing things occurred between them and their partner the previous year. Pamela Smock summarizes this situation well when she says, while common sense suggests that premarital cohabitation should offer couples an opportunity to learn about each other, increasing their chances for a successful marriage, the evidence suggests just the opposite. Premarital cohabitation tends to be associated with lower marital quality and increased risk of divorce. Rita De Maria, she's a distinguished professor, marriage and family therapist, says this, Being single is a choice that most people do not choose. People want to be married. However, some people have never seen a good marriage. For far too many, their perspective on marriage can be summed up one, two, three. First comes the engagement ring, then comes the wedding ring, and then comes the suffering. You know, it's everyone, I would say almost 100%, start their marriage with high expectations I don't know of too many weddings I've done where the bride and the groom have said I just I don't know if we're gonna make it you know I'm I'm rolling the dice no I've never heard that most of the time they are so deeply madly in love it takes everything I've got to get them to reality they cannot imagine that there would be anything wrong with their spouse and they come in with these high expectations And then reality hits. (laughs) You know, one thing I like about country music, and I know country music, most of y'all probably don't like it. Country music is, in fact, the most popular. Did you know that song format in the country? It is. It's also the most disliked song format in the country. So you either love it or you hate it. But man, I tell you, country music tells some stories. And it tells some stories about people who come into marriage with wrong expectations few of them that I found. Deanna Carter sings a song about marriage with the title, Did I Shave My Legs for This? (laughs) Gary Stewart sings, She's Acting Single, I'm Drinking Doubles. And of course, the classic marriage song by Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn, You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. (laughs) I promise you, These were not sung at the wedding. 
These come afterwards. We start out with unrealistic expectations. It is important, it is important that as we go into our wedding day, that we have the right expectations, the right perspective, the right foundation for a successful marriage, for a successful wedding. As we come to Song of Solomon chapter 3, we come to the big wedding day. Um, That whole chapter is really dedicated to the wedding. And it starts off, in fact, with a little dream sequence. The bride is having a dream before the actual marriage. How many of you, how many of you women actually dreamed, daydreamed even, you know, thought about uh, your marriage day before you ever got married? Raise your hand. I want to say, how many of you actually thought? Okay, a lot of you. Okay, now get, how many men daydreamed about your marriage that wedding day? Uh, yeah, a couple of you cowards raised your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Man, the, the, the woman, you know, she's dreaming about, you know, Prince Charming coming and a white horse and everything. It's going to be wonderful and beautiful. And uh, the guys are dreaming about something totally different. So, uh, but she comes to this dream sequence in verses 1 through 4. And it's really, I don't even know if you'd say it's a dream. It's more kind of in the realm of, A nightmare, okay, that turns out okay. And so let's go through these uh, first, uh, well, let's go through five verses. I think I have four on the PowerPoint. Let's go through five verses. And she says, on my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but did not find him. I must arise now. go about the city, in the streets, in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but did not find him. The watchman who made the rounds in the city found me. And I said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I left him when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him and would not let him go. Until I brought him to my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you will not arouse or waken my love until she pleases We see in there, if you look through those verses, and if you mark in your Bible, this is what I would do. Under that phrase, whom my soul loves, I'd underline it. Now, you have to underline it four times because that phrase appears in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4. There is a message that's coming out out of the Shulamite here in her dream. Is that Solomon... Her groom is the one whom her soul loves. And as we go into our wedding day, and in fact, it's good for us to know even right now, we need to have a love like the Shulamite here displays. And the first thing that we see about this love is that it is a total love. Notice it says her soul Not just my eyes, not just my flesh, but my soul loves. It's a total love. It's not just physical, but it's emotional. It's it's mental. It's spiritual. It's the whole being, my soul, who I am, everything that I am loves you. My soul loves. That same word, soul, we see the psalmist talking about God when he says in Psalm 63 about my soul 
longs after you, after God, as in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. In other words, everything looks like a desert, dry, thirsty land compared to my God. And what she is saying is that I love you totally, completely. All that I have, I love you. It is a complete and total love. And let me just say one thing about this. It is a, this spiritual love, it's important for us to understand something. It goes beyond the physical. It goes to the very spiritual of our, of our being. And that's why when the Bible says that a, a saved person should not wed a lost person, that's why. How can two spirits unite when one spirit is dead in their trespasses and sin and the other spirit is alive unto Christ? It can't. So for those of you who are not married, <laughs> let me tell you, it is critical. In fact, it is biblical that you would marry someone who is a child of God. The next thing we see is that she holds on. Notice how she holds on to him. She realizes this love is with her whole being and that it's exclusive. It's the, it is only him. All right? I mean, how do you think it would have went if I'd have come to that wedding day over there, and there is Karen all dressed up and ready to get married, and I said, babe, I want you to know I love you. Oh, you are, yes. But, you know, there's a couple of these other ladies I'd like to have. Yeah, I would still be walking with a limp. It is exclusive. One person, one man, one woman, one lifetime. You notice when she went to the watchman in this dream, she didn't say even... Uh, Hey, have any of you seen Solomon? Did you notice that? She says, Did you, have you seen the one whom my soul loves? It's as if everybody knows who she loves because it is so exclusive. So it's an exclusive love and it's a persevering love. She says she will hold on. She will hold on no matter what. And let me tell you, that is one of the true secrets to a successful marriage is just simply hold on. If you are newly married or Going to get married, this is something that you need to know. Hold on. You love each other, but there will be times you don't like each other. <laughs> and you need to hold on. Don't give up. She was ready to hold on. You'll argue, you'll get mad, you'll get upset, but hold on. And then finally, they had a godly love. If you look in verse uh, 5, and, and we've talked about this before, uh, where she says not to awaken love before it's time. It was love that, that uh, stayed within the boundaries that God had given. So it was uh, a total love that she had for Solomon. It was, uh, it was a persevering love. It was an exclusive love. And it was a godly love. But now we come to the wedding. The days of courting have come to an end. In Song of Solomon, those first two chapters were the days of courting. The time for commitment is about to take place. And so let's look at a biblical wedding. If you take out your listening guide now, you'll be able to fill in those blanks. A biblical wedding is, let me just say, it's more than a requirement to get to the honeymoon. A biblical wedding is more than a new place to live. Escaping the old place. A biblical wedding is first and foremost a time for celebration. 
You know, I hate those lines when someone, have you ever seen someone when they say, uh, maybe you've seen this happen before, say, guess what, I'm getting married. And then that person says, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, well, it was nice while you had your freedom. I mean, come on, guys. Man, I mean, we should be saying, all right, dude, way to go. This is going to be the greatest decision you've made in your life. But instead, we start off with something. It's a time for celebration. And we should celebrate. Marriages in this time frame, the Middle East, let me tell you, they were celebrations like you wouldn't believe. I mean, we may do an afternoon. They'd go all week. Yeah, how did you like that? (laughs) All week long, feasting and celebrating neighbors and friends. Everybody's over there. And so it was a time of great celebration. Solomon and all his men have come, and uh, the trip is filled with pageantry. It's beautiful, smells that are wonderful, food that is wonderful. It is a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. And our wedding is to be a a festive day. Uh, One commentator said this, The Scripture teaches that marriage is one of the most important events in a person's life. Therefore, it is fitting that the union of a couple be commemorated in a special way. So it's a time for celebration. And what we see about this celebration is, first of all, it's a public celebration. Look at verse 6. It says, What do we see approaching from the desert like a cloud of smoke when it comes, the sweet smell of spices, including myrrh and, and frankincense? I mean, everyone could see what was happening. Everyone could see what was laid out and what was displayed. It was a very public moment public celebration the truth is that ceremonies like this need to be done publicly we need to pronounce our love for one another in a very public way it's not something that we want to keep to ourselves we don't want to be someone who has a private ceremony no one knows who they get married it needs to be public we need to be like buddy the elf remember who screams out i'm in love i'm in love and i don't care who knows it that's how we need to be We are in love, we are in love, and we do not care who knows it. We are going to announce it publicly. We're going to make sure everybody knows this is the person that I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with. This is the person that I have made a covenant with. This is the person whom I love more than anyone else. Not only was it a public celebration, though, but it was a sacred celebration. Frankincense, you see, was burned. And when frankincense was burned, it became a symbol of the divine name. And it became a symbol of prayer. It was, frankincense was one of the ingredients of the holy incense used for worship in the tabernacle. It was placed on the bread of presence. It was mixed with oil and the cereal offerings. We need to remember that when we come to that wedding day, not only are we doing it publicly in the sight of witnesses, but we're doing it before God. In fact, he is probably the most crucial person in a successful wedding and in a successful marriage. One of the things that's become very popular, and you may have heard of this before, is something called the sand ceremony. You know what I'm talking about during a wedding? And... Uh, and many times what, the, what, a, what a person do, the, you know, in Genesis it says the two shall become one. And what they will do is they'll have an empty jar 
and then have uh, pink sand and blue sand. And they'll pour those in together. Uh, and the message being that the two have become, become one. Uh, something that, uh, that I've seen that I really like is, is that some will take another container of white sand representing Jesus Christ. And they'll take the pink and the blue and the white showing that, in fact, there's another person that is vital to be a part of this wedding, of this marriage. And that is Jesus Christ. Every wedding should be a sacred celebration. Every wedding should indicate and promote and pronounce the necessity of Jesus Christ. That for a successful marriage, it must be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his truth. And finally, it was a joyful celebration. Everyone is, everyone is joyful. Everyone except maybe the mother-in-law, but everyone else is joyful. They are celebrating on the, look at this, on the day of his wedding and on the day of the gladness of his heart in that last verse. Solomon is glad. This is one of those special moments in life. You're happy. Your family's happy. Your friends are happy for you. I believe God is happy when two believers are uniting together in marriage. Like I said, it was one of the greatest days of my life. My face hurt from smiling so much. Do you know what I mean? I was smiling the whole day. I couldn't wipe it off. Um, my mom and dad were smiling. They're thinking, Steve's gone. We just got a raise. So, uh, <laughs> but everybody was happy uh, at my wedding. Every single person. It's a day of gladness for us, our friends, and our family. But it's not just a time of celebration. It certainly is that. I hope if you've had your wedding, that it was a time of great joy for you. But it's also a time of affirmation. Look at uh, verses 7 through 10. It says, look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel. All of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night, its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. The first thing we see here, friends are affirming their support. They, they affirm the support by their presence. They are saying, we agree with this marriage. Uh, your bridesmaid, your groomsmen, all of them are saying, we support this marriage. They're showing their support by their help. The sixty warriors are escorting the Shulamite bride. The carriage in fact, was decorated, it says, by the young women of Jerusalem. You know, instead how we always have the groomsmen that punk the car or whatever. It was the bridesmaid that did this. I don't know what they put on there. Just married, maybe. Jerusalem or bust, I don't know. But they decorated it, and they decorated it with love. And these daughters of Jerusalem who held the Shulamite accountable before she was married... You remember, do not awaken love before it's time. We'll now support her marriage there and after. Bridesmaids and groomsmen in our weddings today are, are the ones to show their support. They are not merely window dressing. Uh, those are important choices because these are people who will stand by you in the days ahead, ahead when things get tough. They show their support for you on this day, but they are ones that should be showing their support for you throughout your marriage. 
but friends are also affirming their protection. Look, the Shulamite was surrounded by 60 of the best Israel had to offer. Now, let me tell you something. These 60, they were not Boy Scouts. These were the Navy SEALs of their day. These were the Green Berets. I mean, they were the uh, Israeli Special Defense Forces. He was sending his very best to protect the Shulamite on her journey back. The daughters of Jerusalem have already been a part of the Shulamite's life. And now Solomon, what they would do is they would send a carriage or they would, they would go over to the bride's house and then bring her to their house, right? That's what they did in the Old Testament. That's how they did these celebrations. She would be waiting at her house. Then he would come with a carriage. And what Solomon did is he comes with a carriage. He picks up the Shulamite. But then he has 60 of his good friends, warriors, to protect her on that trip back to his house there in Jerusalem. Tommy Nelson, who's the senior pastor of Denton Bible Church, he's also a prolific author, writes this. Part of the safety and security of the wedding ceremony will be evident in the people who serve as your best man, maid or matron of honor, groomsman and bridesmaid. Choose godly people, he says, who will support you fully in the vows you make. As a whole, those who witness your marriage should be like a holy hedge of protection around you keeping you focused toward each other inside the circle of matrimony and keeping out anybody who might try to destroy your marriage. Don't ask someone to stand up for you who isn't completely committed to you, to your marriage, and in general to the sanctity and value of marriage. Such a person will not encourage you to work through problems in your marriage. Such a person will not do the utmost to help in your spouse when you need help. If you don't pick the right person, they will not do that, and they'll embarrass you at the rehearsal dinner. (laughs) At many, many weddings, the witnesses, in fact, the people in the uh, sanctuary are challenged to pray for this married couple because any of us who have been married a while, can't can't you say that, man, we didn't know how much we needed prayer? You just don't know. Like I said, when that picture up there that, of me, that was a clueless face. I mean, the clue phone was ringing, and I was not picking it up. I had no idea what I was headed into. Now, I'm thrilled as all I, as I can be that I headed into there, but I really didn't know. They need support. They need protection. They need prayer. But it's also a time of declaration. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, King Solomon's carriage is built of wood imported from Lebanon. Its posts are silver, its canopy gold. Its cushions are purple. It was decorated with love by the young women of Jerusalem. Come out to see King Solomon, young women of Jerusalem. He wears the crown his mother gave him on his wedding day, his most joyous day. When a couple comes together to get married, they are making commitments to one another. They stand before witnesses to declare that they believe that it is God's will that they should be married and become one flesh. They believe that that wedding is according to the providential will of God. They commit during this time to love one another in sicknesses and health, in poverty and wealth, in good times and bad. They are sticking it out. It's a time of declaration, of commitment, of promise that we are going to do this. They commit to have only one lover, only one best friend, 
Only one lifelong companion. One of the things that we see in these verses is that he's saying, all, is, all that is mine is yours for the rest of my life. The carriage in which Solomon brought the Shulamite to their wedding was fine. It was made of the very best materials that money could buy. The wood was from Lebanon. The timbers from these forests were extremely in demand throughout the ancient Near East. And it was from this wood that Solomon carved his carriage. Pillars of silver, supports of gold, seats of purple. All of this was exquisitely beautiful and expensive. It was Solomon's way of saying, I will keep nothing back from you. All I have now belongs to you. You will always get my best. This carriage was his royal carriage. He is saying, what is mine is yours. Marriage, let me tell you, is brutal. Marriage is brutal on selfish people. Let me say that again. Marriage is brutal on selfish people. Marriage, if anything, should teach you, should train you to be unselfish, to give. Husbands, the word says to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did he love? He gave everything for his bride, the church. But those who want to stake their claim, they want to bury their flag and stand it there and say, here I will not be moved. Those are the ones who are going to struggle because we need to learn to give. And that's what Solomon was doing. He was giving everything that he had. He's saying, all that I have is yours. He was coming to the Shulamite with open hands. And I can tell you, when my marriage has ever gotten in trouble, it's because I got selfish. <laughs> because I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And it's when we learn to give like Christ gave. Then we know the beauty of a loving marriage. Both Solomon and Shulamite are declaring, All that I have is yours. They are holding nothing back. Are you willing? Are you willing to do that this morning? I mean, I don't know. I know sometimes, let you know a little secret here. I've come to church, you know, right after an argument with my wife. Yeah, I've done that before. And when I enter those doors, you know what I look like? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, oh, great. Everything's great. Yeah. My wife's going to kill me, but everything's great. <laughs> I don't know. Probably some of you have come in like that. And one of the first things you might need to do is say, hey, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, forgive me. You know, I said earlier that the greatest day of my life was accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know, that was a covenant with God. 
the greatest covenant between two people, between two humans, is the marriage covenant. That it, that there's no greater covenant between two people on this earth is the marriage covenant. And this morning, I want to give you time. If your spouse is with you, I want to give you time to affirm your love for one another. Now, I thought about a number of ways to do this. I thought about, you know, having everybody come up front. I heard moans already. <laughs> now I thought, well, maybe I'll just have everybody stand. And I thought, you know, I, you have publicly declared your love. I, what I want this morning for you is to, just between you and your spouse, just sit. Now, if you want to stand, you can, but, but just turn to your spouse. And I want you to reaffirm those vows of love for them. Now, I'm going to lead you in this, and you can repeat after me. Uh, the words will show up over here, but, uh, uh, and you can look up here if you need to. <laughs> but I, I'm just going to say them, and, uh, and I want you right now, if you would, just, if your spouse is here with you, just turn and Maybe grab the hands of your spouse lovingly and uh, and husbands, you go first, just look her in the eye, and I want you to say it out loud after me but but to her so let 's do this, husbands, repeat after me today and every day, I choose you to be my wife. I promise to continue living with you according to God's holy word. I covenant to be the spiritual leader of our union to provide a spiritual example through my walk with Christ. On this ordinary day of our life together, I promise to keep on loving you, to keep on comforting you, to keep on honoring and keeping you. Today, I am standing by you, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, today and every day, I renounce all others. I give myself to you and only you so long as we both shall live. People may ask, will you take this one? And you must know, I do. Now wives, if you would look lovingly into your husband's eyes, I know this is hard for some of you. <laughs> but this is something I would think that we should almost do on a regular basis. So wives, look into your husband's eyes and say this. Today and every day, I choose you to be my husband. I promise to continue living with you according to God's holy word. I will honor you as the spiritual leader of our home. 
I will graciously submit to your servant leadership. On this ordinary day of our life together, I promise to keep on loving you, to keep on comforting you, to keep on honoring and keeping you. Today, I am standing by you. For better or worse, in sickness and in health. Today and every day, I renounce all others. I give myself to you and only you so long as we both shall live. People may ask, will you take this one? And you must know I do. I hope that was something from the just very bottom of your heart to your spouse. And I hope it's something that will not be just for today, but for every day. You know, a beautiful marriage a beautiful wedding is really one of the greatest illustrations of Christ's love for the church. In fact, the church is known as the bride of Christ. And the marriage between a man and a woman is a living testimony of the relationship between the Lord Jesus and his chosen people, his bride, the church. The church which he purchased with his own blood. The bride of Christ was specifically chosen by the Father from sinful humanity for the Son. His love for her knows absolutely no bounds. The Bible describes the Son as the groom and the church as his bride. The Son expresses his love for his bride in his self-sacrifice. The sacrifice of the cross. The sacrifice where Jesus cried out, it is finished. I have paid the price for my bride. No greater love has any man that he would lay down his life for another. And Jesus Christ laid down his life for the church, his bride. But the question is, are you a part of the bride of Christ? Do you know that? Do you know that you've made that covenant that will last forever, for all eternity? Do you know that you've done that? Here's my fear. Is that there are people here this morning that are in reality, they're dating Jesus. Maybe once a week. Maybe once every two weeks. They take him out on a date, but there's really no commitment and just like at the altar with your spouse, you made that commitment for a lifetime. It has to be a commitment for all eternity that you give yourself to Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Think about it. Do you know that? Or has it been really just a once in a while, a once a week thing? I mentioned to you that the greatest day of my life was 
the day I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And you saw that signature I made on our rights of matrimony with my signature right underneath there that I was going to be married to Karen for the rest of my life. I signed another thing. It was uh, in this Bible right here. And you should be able to see it on the screen. In November 16th, 1977 there was a man who shared the gospel with me and I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ I said I'm giving everything that I am to you and I didn't understand it all but I knew I wanted Jesus and I knew he wanted me and in that Bible now gracious what it's got to be almost 40 years I wrote in there, tonight, November 16th, 1977, Jesus Christ came into my life. And that was the greatest day of my life. And I've not gotten over it yet. <laughs> my question to you is, have you had that date? Have you had that time where you've given yourself completely to Jesus Christ? What I want us to do now is every head bowed, every eye closed. This is right now. You and Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the church. Jesus Christ, the one who loved you and gave himself for you. You're talking to him now. And right now, this morning, if you would say, Jesus, I'm not sure. I don't know that I'm part of the bride, that I'm part of the church. But I want to nail it down this morning. No more dates. I want the real thing. I want to give myself completely to you. If that is you this morning, right now, I just want you to raise your hand as a public affirmation that yes, this morning I want to nail it down I want Jesus just raise your hand up in the air so I can pray for you anybody yes I see your hand anybody else I'm looking around there's been one anyone else I do not want you to miss this okay for the one who raised their hand I want you to to pray with me you can just repeat it after me, but say it from your heart to God. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose again the third day. At this moment, I am turning from all the sins in my life. And I'm turning completely to Jesus. Jesus, everything, everything that I have is yours. And I ask you, save my soul. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.